Extra time, Immaculate Grid, Grid 139, on Saturday, the 19th of August. Today, we've got a lot of achievements, so I like that. And it's more about figuring out who you want to use, so that way we have you know specific guys that we want to talk about, specific guys that we want to highlight. But this is the bonus show of Generations, talking about my sports generations. The big show drops today at noon. So more on analytics. Hear Steve get apoplectic about advanced metrics and him going on and on and on about intangibles. I love intangibles. You can't measure intangibles. And I think that's true to an extent. But more and more we're able to be able to see different things. And I kind of give a lot of examples on what that looks like. So listen to that show today, drops at noon. And in the meantime, you've got several daily episodes, bonus episodes of Immaculate Grid. And you also have the four and a half minute teaser of me trying to explain wins above replacement to Steve. And that's pretty darn funny. So let's jump into the grid. I've got a couple of gripes and I have a ton of stats for you today. So if we go from the columns left to right, we have the Arizona Diamondbacks. In the middle, we have the New York Yankees. And on the far right-hand side in the achievement column, we have 30-plus home runs and 30-plus stolen bases in a season. Now, if you recall, we actually do a pretty good deep dive on 30-30 seasons, and we talk about Howard Johnson. We kind of highlight him. He's got the third most 30-30 seasons with three. But you can go and find that in the previous Immaculate Grids. If you look in the descriptions of those shows, you're going to see the players that we highlight. So look for Howard Johnson. And then, of course, you can see that day's grid in the description as well. We've got a graphic of that day's grid. But we kind of go through pretty deep those 30-30 seasons and how many each of the top guys have. So that's a pretty good episode, I think. So check that out if you want to hear more. But we have 30-30 in a season here. Then for the rows, top to bottom, we have all-star. We have in the middle 300-plus average, and we have gold glove. So we're going to talk about my gripes when we get to the respective columns and rows. But... Let's go ahead and just jump right in. We're going to go left to right, top to bottom, because there's a lot of stuff just baked in here. And again, we like, I like, you know, those achievements, doing the achievements one. It's more about a puzzle. It's, it's less about trying to remember the players and more about the puzzle of trying to get the guys that I like and the guys that I remember. So that way I can get all of the boxes covered. So in that top left-hand box, we've got All-Star and Arizona Diamondbacks. I went Brandon Webb. And to be fair, today I was trying to go scarcity. I was trying to go scarcity. I was trying to pick players that I wanted to talk about. And I also picked a player that I wanted to make a very specific point about. So going scarcity here, All-Star, I went Brandon Webb. A lot of people forget about him. Brandon Webb won a Cy Young. Won 22 games. But his career was relatively short and you know the guy ended up having arm troubles and and he tried to come back and he just couldn't make it i didn't particularly like him because he dominated the giants but uh went 
Brandon Webb here, 4%, that top left-hand square. Then in the middle, couldn't help myself. New York Yankees All-Star, had to go Ricky, 0.4%. Listen to that show from this week. I go through that 81 season of, it's the relievers episode, where Raleigh Fingers wins MVP and Cy Young that year with Milwaukee. Of course, this is when Milwaukee's in the American League. Ricky's now at this point, you know, he's a Yankee. And um, listen to that, listen to that show and how I kind of go through it. Ricky should have won MVP that year. There's, it's crazy. It's crazy that he, how he didn't. I don't know. But listen to that show. It's on, it show, talks about relievers, Raleigh Fingers, but we, we go through in depth that 81. That's a strike shortened season. So we talk about Ricky quite a bit. Then in the top right hand, we have 30 home runs and 30 plus stolen bases in a season and all-star. So more on that on 33 here in just a moment. But there's 41 different guys that qualified that were did 33 and were an all-star member. So the new rules. I believe these are new because the, the rules aren't dated. And of course, baseball reference took over Immaculate Grid. So things change slightly. But the new rules, and when you go and click on the box, you can put show summary, and then you can see the number of players that qualified for that particular box. And you can click on that, and it'll give you the list. And in that, there's a small blog that talks about how 3030 in a season, but they don't have to have an all-star season the same season. But the way that I've been playing is I'm playing in this basically hard mode. So for those that are fans of Wordle, I play Wordle every single day. You can play in hard mode. I play hard mode. So the way I'm playing is I'm trying to come up with a 30-30 season where the player also was an all-star. Apparently there's a bunch of, you know, normies that are sitting there complaining going oh well he did 30 30 and he had an all-star this separate year like come on man there's plenty of choices there's plenty of players that you could have still had that did that in the same year but if you want easy mode fine easy mode for you you know you bunch of normies you know let, let's stretch ourselves here let's let's go for let's make it hard and i've told you when i flat out had to look something up I've told you, you know, if I fudged a little bit, you know, you're going to see the grids filled out every single day. And I tell you, if you don't, if I don't quite make it, if I had to go and look it up because I don't remember. But let's play hard mode here, please. You know, people that are complaining. Oh, and th th this is going to be the next box, too. This is going to be some more rant on that. But, you know, 30-30 and All-Star. You can come up with somebody that did it in the same season. But now the rules allow you a player that you know, was an all-star and had a 30-30 season. Didn't necessarily have to be the same. We went Bobby Bonds with 3% because we're always repping Giants. Always. So let's drop down to the next box. So this is the left-hand middle box. This is Arizona Diamondbacks and 300-plus season. I picked the person that I picked on purpose to prove a point. I went Craig Council. And he batted 316 in 2000. And I knew that he had batted 300, and I knew that he didn't qualify for the batting title. And I couldn't remember exactly what he batted, but I remember because, you know, he's faced the Giants all the time. And, you know, he hit the Giants pretty well. But that's the new rule. 
the new rule means you can pick anybody that had an average that was 300. They use the extreme example in their in their rules that says, hey, you can have just three at bats and have one hit for the whole year. And that counts as a 300 season. I think that's weak sauce. So, you know, I think it should go back to the other way. Guys that had 300 plus and qualified, you know, qualifying season. I just don't like. I don't like that. It's not I'm not a fan of it again. Let's play hard mode here, but I'll continue to play hard mode. I just put this box here just to make a point. Great council comes in here at 2%. So that means people are picking him and they're picking him because, you know, they can't come up with something better. And I just, I don't know. I, I just, I'm not a fan, but we're going to continue to play hard mode. But for this particular one, we went council just to make a point. So now we got the middle square. We have 300 plus season. And we have New York Yankees. And we went Reggie here at 0.6. Now there's plenty of choices here, but we went Reggie specifically for a very specific reason. And it's because he only hit 300 once. And we talked about this on a show uh, several shows ago. Again, reminder, if you want to hear that show and what we talk about and the specifics that we get into regarding Reggie, just look for Reggie Jackson in the description and you can find that that particular episode and listen to that. We're diving deep into these guys. I think our descriptions weren't the best as far as, you know, we give you the date, we give you the grid, you got the picture, but we're going to start adding better descriptions so you know some of the topics that we're actually talking about and diving deep on. But Reggie only hit 300 one time, 1980. He had 154 hits that year. He had 41 home runs. He had 111 RBI. He batted 300 with a 398 on base percentage, a 597 slugging, and he had 307 total bases. So it was his second most total bases in a season. His career high was 1969 with 334. He had his second highest on base average. Same year, 1969, he had a 410. He had his third most hits in a season. So he had 154. He would do 157 in 1971 and 158 in 1973. But he did that. He did the 154 in 1980 in seven fewer games than 71 and eight fewer games than 73. He would have his fifth most walks in a season at 83. So he walked 114 times in 69, 92 in 86, 86 in 74 and 85 and 82. So this season, outside of that 69 season, might be his second best season overall. And the next set of stats that I give you, I think is going to be very indicative of the player that Reggie was. And I still think he's a Hall of Famer, and obviously he is a Hall of Famer, but this statistic kind of tells you where his value came from because it was a very specific value. And then outside of that, you know, he's okay. I mean, Reggie would be quite possibly, if he's not the highest paid player in baseball today, he's definitely top five. And he was in that range, you know, in his heyday with the A's and the Yankees and then becoming a free agent going to the Angels. 
but he has a very specific sabermetric friendly you know career but man the guy struck out a lot so he has the most strikeouts in major league baseball history 2597 he did that in 11,418 plate appearances in 21 seasons. He had a 22.7 strikeout rate. Now, I looked at the top 25 career strikeouts for players all time. And there's only one player that's close, and he's also retired. We'll talk about him in just a second. But of the active players, even the guys that struck out a ton that are you know, just recently retired, like Adam Dunn, they're not even close. I mean, they had seasons where they had more strikeouts than Reggie, but from a career perspective, nobody is close to Reggie. No one. So when you're looking at the guys that are still playing, Nelson Cruz, Nelson Cruz is near the end of his career. You know, he's got a handful of seasons left. He's not going to come close at all. And the guys that are really striking out a lot in today's game, I don't think they're going to get the number of seasons because I just don't think they're good enough as Reggie was over a long period of time to be able to stay in the game, be a productive player. And, I mean, let's call it what it is. I mean, Reggie is a Hall of Fame player. So one of those kind of components usually means You've been in the league for a long time. You've played a lot of seasons. So you have to be good enough to play long enough to be able to strike out enough. So kind of take that with a grain of salt. But nobody's passing Reggie anytime soon. Not No one. Not even close. The guy that came the closest is Jim Tomey. So Jim Tomey is second all-time in career strikeouts at 2,548. So... Reggie had 25.97. Tommy had 25.48. So 39 fewer strikeouts. Reggie did it in 21 seasons and 11,418 plate, plate appearances. Tommy did it in 22 seasons and he had, you know, over 1,000 fewer plate appearances. He had 10,313. So Reggie would have. 1,115 more plate appearances. So, you know, Reggie's strikeout rate was 22.7. Tommy's was 24.7. So give you kind of perspective, Tommy was striking out at a greater clip, just didn't have as many plate appearances. Reggie only had three seasons where he struck out fewer than 100 times. But there's a caveat to each one of those seasons. So in 1987, that was his last year. He's 41 years old. He plays only 115 games. He has 97 strikeouts. 1981, again, is the strike-shortened season. He plays only 94 games. He strikes out 82 times. And then 1967 is his very first you know, his major league debut, he plays 35 games. He strikes out 46 times. That's it. Every other year, he strikes out more than 100 times. His career OPS plus, though, is 139. So that means, of course, that he is 
39% better than the average hitter during his career, which is phenomenal. Phenomenal. And his average total bases per season in 162 games, normalized for 162, is 278 total bases. So to kind of put that into comparison to Tomei, Tomei had an OPS plus of 147, so quite a bit higher, eight points higher than Reggie. And he had 297 total bases, average total bases per 162. And Tomei hit, but Tomei only hit 49 more home runs than Reggie. But his career average, you know, Tomei's career average is, is 276. So that tells you where Reggie's, you know, where his value is. It's the fact that he's hitting home runs. If Reggie doesn't hit 563 home runs in his career, which is kind of a weird argument or a funny argument to say, if he doesn't hit the home runs, he's not a Hall of Famer. Well, of course, you know, you got to do one to get the other. I understand that. But his value, because he wasn't getting on base and he's striking out a lot. And this is in an era where people just don't strike out. Like they don't strike out like this. There's only a handful of guys during this time, you got Bobby Bonds is one of those guys, you know, in those early 70s to late 80s that's striking out a lot. You know, Rob Deere would come up. This would be a little bit later, you know, late 70s, early 80s, where he's striking out that much. But guys just aren't doing that. That's not how the game is played at this point in time. So the only way that you can provide value is if you're getting home runs. And he absolutely did. So if he's not hitting home runs, I mean, we've seen and we've talked about those guys where, you know, Chris Davis, if he's not hitting 50 home runs, his value isn't very good because he's just not getting on base enough. So you got to produce, you know, the bases and the RBI and the runs by, you know, hitting it over the wall. And if you can't do that consistently and you can't do it long enough, your career isn't going to last. And Reggie figured that out and how to do it for 21 seasons. So I'm saying this more as a in awe of what Reggie did versus as a knock versus what Reggie did, if that makes sense. But that's where his value was. He's hitting home runs. And if he doesn't hit home runs, he's not in the league for 21 years. He's not a Hall of Famer, you know, those kinds of things. So the, the ability to keep hitting home runs, he's making just enough contact. Go find the, the episode with Chris Davis and we talk about it. Chris Davis just needed to make a little bit more contact. He had a season where he had like 28 home runs and that season is basically garbage because he's just not getting on base. His average is really, really low. He's not walking enough. And, you know, you just can't if you're not making contact or if you're not making walks, if you're not if your batting average is low. You basically have to hit it out of the park and you have to hit it out more than at the clip that Davis was doing it. It's why Davis's career, you know, wasn't as long as maybe if it could have been. And he didn't have to make that much more contact, just a little bit more. And Davis is still in the league right now. But Reggie did it for 21 seasons. So it's kind of incredible. But he only had one 300 season, which is kind of crazy. It's just, it's kind of phenomenal. And it's just, you know, kind of that rando year that he was able to do it. Other than that, he didn't really come close. 
So Reggie, interesting guy. You know, he was always the cantankerous dude. Um, and we've talked about this a little bit. You got to think of when he came up. His first season is actually as a Kansas City A. So Kansas City, you know, not necessarily the most progressive place for black people. Let's just call it what it is, especially in 1967. You know, you're you're right in the thick of civil rights movement. And we've talked about Willie Mays having to stay, Hank Aaron having to stay in different hotels in St. Louis than the rest of the team. So I'm not saying or suggesting that Reggie Jackson, you know, doesn't have the right to have a chip on his shoulder and to be a little cantankerous. But, you know, from a fan's perspective and somebody that grew up, you know, in Northern California, you know, we always thought of Reggie in a positive light. But he definitely rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And when you compare Reggie against Ricky, now oh, we liked Ricky way better because. Ricky, again, had that trip. Ricky had the swag. Reggie had some swag, right? He still had the World Series, Mr. October, you know, MVP, World Series MVP kind of swag. But his swag was more accomplishment swag on the, you know, what he accomplished. Ricky had the accomplishments, but he had just that little bit of, you know, je ne sais quoi on the field, right? He just kind of had the, again, going back to hitting his, you know, glove on his on his thigh before he snatched the ball out of the you know out of the air so ricky ricky just had a little bit more also ricky again speaking in third person and all that that was always just part of the part of that swag by ricky so if you ask somebody you know that was an a's fan back in those days and me not being an a's fan but still liking the players i would say people liked ricky more than Reggie. Obviously, Ricky came up a little bit after Reggie. And then Reggie, you know, would go on to the Angels and, you know, kind of fuel a little bit of a run for the Angels a little bit. But um yeah, it'd be interesting. There's an interesting case study here on polling fans during that area, you know, Ricky or Reggie. Who did you like better? And um I don't know, I'm going Ricky. So now we're at the right-hand side, middle row, 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases in a season, 300-plus average. Again, we're playing hard mode here. So there are 41 total guys that qualified here, but there's 25 that did it in the same season, So meaning they had 30-30 season and they hit 300 or better. I'm playing hard mode. So I went Alfonso Soriano. He batted three, 300 on the dot, and he did that uh, Did that 6%. Here, we're going to get to his, he did it in 2002, but we'll get that in just a moment. But there's only 25 that guys that did it in the same season. Here's that list. We're going we're gonna to break it down, each one of them for you. So Hank Aaron, 1963. Aaron hits 44 home runs, 31 stolen bases, bats 319. I mean, Hank Aaron, that dude's a badass. Those guys in that era, Aaron, Willie Mays, Jackie, 
you know, all all of those all of those guys in that late 40s into the 50s, into the early 60s, just before the civil rights. Like these are the guys that we're playing, and we haven't had the civil rights movement yet. So think of the stuff these guys are going through. And when Hank Aaron ends up breaking Ruth's career home run record, you know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, there were a lot of people that were excited, but there were probably as many people that were not very happy. And it's kind of funny because the people that weren't happy, most of them probably never even saw Ruth even play. It's just this mythical figure that's sitting there, and now you have this black guy this black man of class and stature that takes him out. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff written on this and there's a lot of undertones, both in the positive way and in my opinion, the negative way about, about Hank Aaron. But to me, sport is the example of where things become normalized. And what I mean by this is not racism being normalized where it's okay, but the normalization of talent on the field. Doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, once you get on that field, everybody's presumably equal. And of course there's rules and all kinds of things, how things get, you know, played out on the field that sometimes can show some disadvantages but in theory sport is about as purest as it gets where doesn't matter who you are where you're from how much money or what your family name is on the field in theory that's your that's the that's the ultimate egalitarian place where there's equity for everyone and hank aaron is you know, if it's not him, it's Maze, and if it's not Maze, it's him. But the epitome of that. So when we fast forward a hundred years from now, and people are looking at stats, and people are looking at the, you know, trying to figure out the greatness of players, and they just see this, you know, Henry Aaron character, and they don't see a picture of him, you're not going to think, you're not going to know whether he was white or black. You're not going to have any idea what he looked like. None whatsoever. And then when you dig into it and you figure it out and you find out and you go, wow, man, what, what did that guy, how did that guy accomplish that? Especially during the time and age that it was. Look at Bill Russell, you know, during similar time frame with the Celtics. And when you're playing well as a man of color and you're in a city that you're bringing them joy you're bringing them championships i mean that's about as powerful as it can be and you can possibly argue that sport is one of the things that kind of helped break you know some of the color barrier and racism that we have in our country i'm not going to say it's the sole reason but when you had these guys that were great in these cities those cities were able to embrace those those players on the field and they were still getting discriminated off the field but i think it started to change those mindsets so maybe your dad was a big baseball fan wasn't really you know 
maybe not overtly racist, but wasn't feeling it having black guys in the major leagues. But then as a kid, your favorite player is Willie Mays or Hank Aaron or Jackie Robinson. And then you grow up and it becomes, hey, those are my guys. I don't care if he's black. I don't care if he's white. And you know what? When you're meeting other people of color and people from other backgrounds off the field, you know, maybe your attitudes and behaviors change there. So sport is powerful. And that's, you know, we don't talk about this a lot in baseball. We don't talk about it a lot, you know, necessarily in sports. And you have some very specific times, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown, you know, these different guys that spoke out and used their platform to discuss about inequalities. And it makes people uncomfortable. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But, you know, there were conversations that need to have. There's conversations that need to still have. And I'm not just saying just for black people. Like, I'm saying anybody of color. And then let's call it what it is, a socioeconomic kind of component. It's poor people as well. And most poor people are, are brown. Not saying that there aren't, you know, white people that aren't poor. But that's kind of one of the other pieces where we pit people against each other in similar strata to be able to gain an advantage and create a narrative. So it's easy to make poor people pissed at poor black people and poor brown people because now it's like, hey, they're the problem. They're the ones that are taking your job and holding you down. And that's a, you know, that that's not specific to the United States. I mean, that's something that's been happening for decades and decades and centuries. So sport, I think, is that opportunity where we can create as much equity as we possibly can. And I'm not suggesting that it's perfect. And I'm not suggesting that there's not a lot of room to grow, but that's one of the areas that, you know, that I think is, is an opportunity. Hank Aaron, 1963, 44 home runs, 31 stolen bases, 319 average. Guy was just, if he's not the best of the best, you know, a lot of people will say Willie Mays was the best player ever, but I mean, all in, best of the best, might be Hank Aaron. So 24 more guys, let's get into that. Bobby Abreu did it in 2004 with the Phillies, 42 home runs, excuse me, 30 home runs, 40 stolen bases, 301 average. Bagwell did it. People forget Jeff Bagwell was running bases. Boston Red Sox fans, I think, are still mad about, you know, Bagwell going, you know, just being kind of tossed in a trade, going to Houston. Bagwell hit 42 home runs, 30 stolen bases, batted three, 04 and 99. Mookie Betts, you look at Mookie Betts' seasons in Boston, man, they're pretty crazy. 2018, he had 32 home runs, 30 stolen bases, batted 346. And oh, by the way, top it all off, had a gold glove. So that's going to come up here in just a little bit. Dante Bichette, 1996, 31 and 31, batted 313. That's, those are those crazy. We're going to talk about Ellis. You know, we're going to talk about Ellis. We've been talking about Ellis in his 96 season. We're going to, we're going to talk about that here real soon. Barry did it three times. He did it the most. So in 90, he went 33 and 52 stolen bases, batted 301. Oh, by the way, threw in a gold glove. 92, 34 home runs, 39 stolen bases, batted 311. 
tossed in another gold glove. 96, that's his 40-40 season, went 42-40, and 40, batted 308. Hey, let's throw in another gold glove. So at this point, Barry's done this three times. It's not the year that he starts using that I allege. So you can go listen to that episode of, you know, I think he started in the 98, 98 offseason after everybody went crazy. And then he's like, all right, I'm I'm going after these guys. And so he ends up having an elbow injury. And I, I go through that and talk about, you know, the anecdotal evidence of when I think it started. So check that episode out. Again, look in the description, find Barry Bonds. You'll find it. <clears throat> Ryan Braun did it twice. Now we know Ryan Braun. I think he finally came out and admitted it. But he, he did it in 2011 and 2012. So in 11, he went 33-33, batted 332. And in 12, he goes 41 home runs, 30 stolen bases, and bats 319. Ron had some seasons, you know, a little enhanced. But Braun had some seasons. Here we are. One of our favorite seasons. I don't know why this is one of my favorite seasons. And maybe it's because in 96, this is just how wacky things started to get. And at the time, we didn't know. It wasn't even really suspected. At this point in 1996, before that season starts, you know, we know about Conseco at this point. And there's a lot of innuendo floating around. But we're not talking really about steroids as a global discussion within baseball at this point. Not yet. So in 96, Burks goes MVP three, and he has third in war with 7.9. Caminiti goes MVP one. So this is the year San Diego goes to the World Series, loses to the Yankees. Caminiti is MVP one. He's war four with 7.6. Piazza now goes MVP two, but he finishes 12th in war. Barry, this is his 40-40 season. Barry is war one. He finishes MVP five. And he has a war of 9.7. So he's way ahead of everybody else. No one else is, is even close. Now, this is a weird season. Bernard Gilkey finishes war two. And go find this episode as well. We go into this a little bit more detail. Bernard Gilkey finishes second in war. He's MVP 14. He has a war of 8.1. So, I mean, he's not even in the neighborhood of, of Bonds. But Gilkey has that sabermetric dream war season because he's just really good at a lot of stuff. And if you watch the how you explain war, how it's, you know, wins above replacement, how it's calculated, you can see how Gilkey just hits the right combination of stuff to where you know his numbers come out very positively but in that season nobody would say hey you're the second highest war you should be top five mvp i mean no one would look at that season for him specifically as compared to these other guys but here's burks's 96 season we've been talking about it so much and we just haven't done the deep dive on it yet but here it is he leads the league in runs with 142 
I mean, 142 runs. I mean, that doesn't happen that often. And, you know, you got to be on base. And not only do you have to be on base, you need dudes behind you that are knocking you in. And that Colorado, 96 Colorado team was doing just that. Larry Walker, Big Cat, Dante Bichette, Burks, Vinny Castilla. They just couldn't pitch. He's second in the league with 211 hits. He's second in doubles with 45. He's third in triples with eight. And he's tied for third in home runs with 40. He's fourth in RBI with 128. And for giggles, he throws in 32 stolen bases. Which is fourth among those receiving MVP votes. He bats 344. Now he's first among MVP recipients, vote recipients, because this is one of those weird years. Already weird, but even more weird. Gwynn wins the batting title at 353, but he wins the batting title because there's a quirk in the batting title requirements. So you need to appear have 3.1 plate appearances for every game played. So that comes out to about 502, or comes out to 502 plate appearances. Gwen only has 498, but here's the quirk in the system. If you normalize their appearances, plate appearances, to that 502, so basically you give Gwen a theoretical four more plate appearances, and then, just assume that they don't have any more hits, that, that you just add those plate appearances. If their average is still higher than the next eligible person, they win the batting title, and they win the batting title at that recalculated number. So that happened in 96. Gwynn did that. And this hasn't happened that many times in, in major, major League history. So Gwynn actually wins the batting title Ellis Burks has the highest batting average of all of those receiving MVP votes. And I'm presuming that Wynn didn't because, you know, he didn't, his season, you know, he didn't get to 500 plate appearances. And so that's why he didn't receive any MVP votes, I guess. San Diego finishes first that year in the West, of course, because they go to the World Series. They were 91 and 71. But here's the rest of Burks' line. He has a 408 on base percentage. He leads the league in slugging at 639, and he leads the league with total bases with 392. That season is just, it's just crazy. It is crazy. Now, at this point, Piazza's on the Dodgers. The Dodgers finished one game back at San Diego. Why or how Piazza finishes MVP two with a war at War 12? I'm not sure. Maybe it's because, you know, just the Dodgers were, you know, they're L.A., they're a big market. They finished second in the West. Colorado finishes eight games back. So that kind of throws out, I guess, all of the Rockies. I mean, their offensive numbers that year as a team were just crazy. So maybe it was just a matter of fatigue. There's just too many guys on this team. So, you know, they're going to kind of split votes, so to speak. It's the Ross Perot kind of phenomena. I'm not sure. 
Barry's season's crazy, but you could argue that his season's kind of empty stats because his 40 stolen bases, I remember that year, it was really, the Giants were terrible. They finished 23 games back of, of San Diego. They almost lost 100 games. It was a lost season. And Barry was just running. And I think it turned into, you know, hey, he's trying to go for 40-40 because what else are you going to do? I mean, his war was far and above anybody else, but I can see how someone would say, hey, you know, the Giants were trash, so he doesn't deserve it. Fair enough. But statistically, Bonds was was the best for that particular season. And then when you look at uh, the Mets, so Gilkey was on the Mets, no one was, was talking about him. I mean, the Braves finished 96 and 66 to win the East. Yeah, the East, because we've split up into the um, different divisions. We've got the Central now. So the Braves finished 96 and 66. Bernard Gilkey and the Mets finished 25 games back. So no one was going to say, hey, Gilkey had the best all-around season, so we're giving it to him. His team just wasn't winning. But go back and look at that 96 Colorado team and go look at that Burks 96 season. It's just crazy. And even compared to Barry, Barry's season is great, but just the fact that Burks was just leading in so many categories and those guys just put up some runs. If they could just pitch, and I'm no fan of the Rockies, you know, they're in the West, but I don't hate them like I hate the Dodgers and, you know, hate the, actually, I hate the Astros. I hated the Reds. You know, those guys used to be in the West. It's pretty much I hate I hate the Dodgers. And I kind of hate the Diamondbacks, but not as much as the Dodgers. I don't really hate San Diego that much because they're typically not that good. And hating the Rockies is like, you know, hating on somebody that isn't less, you know, less advantaged than than you are. It's kind of foolish. It's just bad form. So, you know, it's how I view it. Well, let's keep going. We've got some more names for you. We have Jose Canseco, 88. That's his 40-40 season. We talked about that and how he won MVP. And, you know, maybe it could have been Boggs, but he goes 42, 42 home runs, 40 stolen bases, bats 307. Here's a weird one. Jacoby Ellsbury, 2011. He, bat, he hits 32 home runs, 39 stolen bases, bats 321. And, oh, by the way, throws in the gold glove. Ron Gant, 1990, 32 home runs, 33 sold bases, goes 303. Then you got Bad Vlad, Vladimir Guerrero, 2001 and 2002. He's still in Montreal. Les Expo. He goes 39 and 40 with a 336 average in 01 and a 34 and 37 with a 307 average in 2002. Vladimir Guerrero. I mean, that guy was phenomenal. The fact that he's hitting balls off of his shoe tops and balls over his head and just the hand-eye court. You talk about Reggie having to really hit the ball out of the park to be effective. Guerrero didn't walk a whole lot, but the contact that guy made was just incredible. And he could do it for average. He could do it for power. Had a hose for an arm. So. Side note, 
this is the list of players that did 30-30 in a season and hit three over 300 in a season. I mean, again, we went Soriano 6%. We'll get to him in just a moment. But the 41 players that qualified for this square overall, Howard Johnson's in that list. And this is where my gripe also continues. This is where Howard Johnson batted 316 and 84 with Detroit, right? We've talked about this before where he actually has two World Series. He won a World Series with Detroit in, in 84. He only had 173 plate appearances. So kind of get out of here with that. You know, yeah, he qualifies, but doesn't really feel good. It doesn't feel like a good answer. So the gripe continues on. I think it should be 30-30 in a season and 300 in that same season. Not, hey, he did it once here and he did it once another time. And oh, by the way, he did it in a season that he didn't even qualify for the batting title. Seems fake. Matt Kemp, 2011. He almost goes 40-40. He goes 39 home runs, 40 stolen bases, bats 324, and oh, by the way, gold glove. This is before Matt Kemp got overweight. Matt Kemp was amazing. And then he had these weird seasons. He'd come back. He's out of shape. And then he'd try to play back into shape. And I don't know. Matt Kemp, I think, was a lot better. I can't remember. He was dating some, you know, he ended up dating some, you know, superstar person. But, um, you know, those are the types of players that me as a fan, and again, I don't think it's fair. You can do whatever you want as a professional player. But us as fans, we kind of put expectations. We foist our expectations on these players and go, man, if I was Matt Kemp, I wouldn't be out of shape coming into the year, having to, like, you know, redo everything. And then I'm fat for a few years, and then I turn around and, you know, get get fit again, and then I have another good year. you know. I think as fans, we think in our minds, if we were in that situation, we would do things differently. We're always kind of holding our sports figures to task when it's necessary, not necessarily fair to do so. And I actually met Matt Kemp in a rando like coffee shop in Atlanta once. And I'm thinking, dude, homeboy's chunky. And, you know, this is at the point he's he's playing for the Braves. And I'm just sitting there thinking, man, I remember seeing this guy on Dodger uniform when that, you know, he was fit. And he's also that player that started getting all these nagging injuries. So then you wonder, is it because he's not as fit as he could be as a professional athlete? So it's just kind of funny. And as fans, and this is something that we talk about on the main show, you know, how we consume the game, how we watch the game, how we consume the game, and how we as fans kind of have these irrational expectations of the people that play on the teams that we root for. Matt Kemp's one of those. And he he threw in a gold glove that year. So you got Willie, 1957. He had 35 home runs, 38 RBI, batted 333. And oh, by the way, he threw in 20 triples. And he threw in a gold glove in 57. Now, Willie Mays, again, going back through this, you look at Willie and you look at Barry and you look at Hank Aaron and you compare and contrast their seasons, they're, video, they're all video game numbers. Those three guys are just otherworldly. Amazing. And it would be amazing to see Aaron and Mays playing in today's game with Barry or Barry going back playing with them then. 
just having those three guys in the league together. And if you want to throw in Griffey, you could throw Griffey into that mix as well. But, I mean, those guys are just otherworldly. Raul Mondesi of the Dodgers in 97. He goes 30 and 32. That's 310. He throws in a gold glove. Dale Murphy in 83. 36 home runs, 30 stolen bases, 302 average, gold glove. Hanley Ramirez, 2008. 33 home runs, or yeah, 33 home runs, 35 stolen bases, bats 301. A-Rod, he only went 30-30 once, and he actually didn't go 30-30. He went 40-40. So in 98, he goes 42 home runs, 46 stolen bases, bats 310. The aforementioned Alfonso Soriano, this is as a... Uh, Washington National, 2002. No, excuse me. This is as a Yankee. He does his 40-40 season with the Nationals, I believe, the very next year. But as a Yankee in 2002, he goes 39 home runs, 41 RBI, bats 300 even. Mike Trout in 12 goes 30 home runs, 49 stolen bases, bats 326. I believe that's his rookie year. Larry Walker. So this is the year after Burks goes crazy. Walker, 97, 49 home runs, 33 stolen bases, bats, 366, and a goal club. Ken Williams. Now, they, in the game today, they put the wrong link, and they put Ken Williams with the White Sox that wasn't in the league very long. This is a Ken Williams that played in the 1920s with the St. Louis Browns. And... He had a season where he had 39 home runs, 37 stolen bases, and batted 332. David Wright with the Mets in 2007. He had 30 and 34, batted 325 with a gold glove. Yelich in 2019 had 44 home runs and 30 solid bases and batted 329. And that's your list. 25 guys did it. 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases, batted 300 better. The highest home run for those folks is Walker with 49 and 97. The highest stolen bases was Will, or it's not Will, it was Barry Bonds with 52 and 90. And the highest average was Walker with 366 and 97. So let's jump down to the bottom right hand square because we're going to do gold glove last. So the bottom right hand square, so that's 30 plus home runs, 30 stolen bases in a season, and a gold glove. And again, we're playing hard mode. So there are 25 guys that qualified for this list, but we're playing with hard mode, meaning they did it in the same season. So 11 were 30, 30, 300, and gold gloves. We gave you that already. 16 total went 30, 30, and a gold glove. So there's five more guys that went 30, 30, and won a gold glove in the same season. We went Barry here, 27%. We're always repping Giants. But Bobby Bonds in 73 went 39 home runs, 43 stolen base, gold glove. Eric Davis, 87, that's a crazy season. 37 home runs, 50 stolen bases, gold glove. Barry Larkin, 96, 33 home runs, 36 stolen bases, gold glove. Jimmy Rollins in 07, 30 and 41, of course, gold glove. And Grady Sizemore with the Clevelands, 2008, 33 and 38, and a gold glove. 
So you had 25 that qualified for the list that you could have used, but only 16 actually did it all in the same season. And 11 of those 16 also batted 300. We're playing hard mode here, people. Force yourself to play hard mode. And when you don't play hard mode, and if you get it, at least admit to it. You know, don't try to be going, oh, I went, I went super sneaky. I went scarcity. I got this guy. And it's like, dude, that guy didn't even qualify. Or you kind of, you know, yeah, you, you answered it, but it wasn't really the same season. Play hard. All right, let's finish this off. Arizona Diamondbacks, this is the left-hand, bottom left-hand square, Arizona Diamondbacks and gold glove. We couldn't help ourselves. We went Steve Finley. Right, we keep talking about Steve Finley. It seems like Steve Finley comes up every time. It used to be Bobby Bonilla and Dave Winfield. It seemed like every answer. Now it's Steve Finley. But the game says there's ten eligible players. I went on the Arizona Diamondbacks team page and their Wikipedia page, and there's only nine listed. So I don't know who the tenth guy is, and I'm assuming it's somebody that played for Arizona for a partial season and still won. But I couldn't figure that out easily enough without spending a lot more time trying to research this. But if you look at the team website, I'm going with that. And there's only nine. So you have Christian Walker in 2022. I don't even know who that guy is. And we've talked about this before. Anybody post 2016, I know some of the main players. But other than that, eh, I'm not very good. Nick Ahmed did it twice in 18 and 19. Again, I know the name. I couldn't pick that guy out in the lineup. No idea. David Peralta also did it in 2019. Yeah, I kind of know who that guy is. And then Zach Greinke. He did it in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. So one, two, three, four, five, six years in a row. Paul Goldschmidt. So, of course, I know that guy. He's done it four times, 13, 15, 17, and 21. He's now a Cardinal. AJ Pollock did it in 2015. He's on the injured list with the Giants right now. Woohoo! Gerardo Parra did it twice in 11 and 13. Orlando Hudson four times 05, 06, 07, 09. And Steve Finley did it in 95, 96, 99, 2000, and 05. That's your list for the Arizona. So it says 10. I don't know who the 10th guy is. Similarly, You've got the New York Yankees and Gold Glove. Same thing. They say 26 eligible. I can find only 25. You got Ron Guidry, did it five times. These are going to go by position. Pitcher, Bobby Shantz did it four times. Messina did it three. And as catchers, you had Thurman Munson with three. Elson Howard did it twice. Mattingly at first did it nine times. Joe Pepitone did it three times. Mark Shura did it three times. I went with Greg Nettles, by the way, 4%. You got Chris Shambliss did it once. And then at second base, you got Bobby Richardson five times, Robinson Cano twice. And then for third, you got Boggs twice, Greg Nettles. That's where I went twice. And Brocious did it once. Totally forgot about that guy, former A. Jeter did it five times as a shortstop. He's the only shortstop to win as a Yankee and as has been chronicled a lot many of those years he probably should have not even won short uh gold glove we'll probably go into that one point and then here are the outfielders you got bernie williams with four dave winfield with four brett gardner once mickey mantle once maris once 
Bobby Mercer once, Norm Seaburn once, Tom Tresh once, and Jose Trevino once. And then DJ LeMahieu won the Utility Award. We've talked about when that, you know, he's the first one, 2022. Go find that episode. So that's the list. So go back. We talk about a lot of these things. We dig into them every single episode. If you find these things interesting, if you like particular players, if you like particular topics, go search those descriptions. You can find those episodes. But this is Extra Time. It's Immaculate Grid. This is Grid 139. It is Saturday, the 19th of August. This show drops tonight at 9 p.m. Listen to the main show, Generations talking about my sports generations that drops at noon today we'll be back here tomorrow love immaculate grid play immaculate grid interact with the show we appreciate it it's jonathan have a good one